we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Still doesn't give me the why. There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. What will he find out there, Doctor? His destiny. Twenty-four-year-old Jocelyn Houle was a nursing student from Chicoutimi, Quebec. In April 1977, she traveled to Montreal with a group of fellow students to study respiratory therapy for three weeks at the Institute of Cardiology in the city's Rosemont district. They stayed at a boarding house, the Jean-Mans Institute at 6675 44th Avenue. On April 13th, Houle and seven of her fellow students had a night on the town. They have dinner at the Barn Cider, which was at 2250 Rue Guy. After dinner, they decide to go to the old Munich at Saint-Denis and Dorchester, now Boulevard René Lévesque. They arrive at 11.30 p.m. They drank, danced, stayed until closing. They left the club together around 1.30 a.m. with the intention of moving the party up the street to La Calache du Sex at 328 St. Catherine Street East, just west of Saint-Denis. Jocelyn Houle, who was walking apart from the group with two men, never arrived. Mr. Allard? Are you there? Monsieur Allard? This is Who Killed Teresa, and I'm your host, John Allure. And we are going to revisit the case, the 1977 case of uh, Jocelyne Houle today, déjà vu all over again, as well as the um, deaths of two uh, different um, go-go dancers from uh, saint jérôme 
region. But before we do that, um, I'd like to set the stage with something. Uh, this is uh, this is an article from um, March twenty second, nineteen seventy nine, in the Gazette by Steve Couch. It says, "Murdered go go girl, twenty first slain over two years." Exactly three years ago, Nicole Shampoo walked into the St. Catherine Street offices of Les Productions Claude Vignon, Inc. and popped open a bottle of champagne to celebrate the start of her career as a strip tease dancer. Yesterday, the dancer's 21st birthday, the Quebec police force called the Montreal agency to say Shampoo had become the 21st go-go dancer or stripper to be murdered in the province during the last two years. Her body was found by children in a barn Tuesday at St. Matthieu de Bolay on the south shore. She had been shot about a month earlier. Champeau, who had taken the stage name of Isabelle, had been missing since February 25th. It was the second time in two years the agency had been informed by police one of their girls had been murdered. It was three years ago today Isabel stood in this very office with her bottle of champagne. She had just turned 18 and we were signing her up with the agency, Lise Lapointe, the booking manager, said in an interview. She was attracted to the way of life by the money and the beautiful costumes. She saved for a year to buy the dresses she wore in her first booking, Lapointe said. The attractive brunette was considered by Lapointe to be the baby of the group of 150 strippers under contract to the agency. I was like a mother to her. She was my baby, and I tried to take good care of her. Whenever I needed a girl for a gala affair, she was the one, said Lapointe. But like 75% of all girls in this racket, she didn't know how to handle herself with the public. She was naive. Isabelle was a victim of her innocence, said Lapointe. She had to be told what was right, what was wrong. She sought affection but ended up with only one-night stands. She confided in anyone who said a kind word to her and accepted lifts from strangers instead of taking a taxi. It wasn't because she couldn't afford the taxi. She was earning 450 to 500 a week, clear as a dancer with us. But she was into drugs and spent her money as fast as she made it. Shampoo lived with her parents and was engaged last year to a man who is now serving time in a penitentiary for armed robbery. Shortly before she disappeared, the dancer confided in Lapointe that she was in trouble. She kept saying she needed to make some fast money and was very nervous. It wasn't like her. She was always laughing and getting as much out of life as she could. She loved parties and the good life and her drugs, Lapointe said. On Sunday, February 25th, she told her mother she was going to visit a friend and would return within a few hours. She never came back 
and her parents didn't want to call the police because they thought she had gone on a trip. So I called the police. La Pointe said. reasons I wanted to um, tell a three-part story about uh, sex trade workers in Quebec is I, I just felt it was um, too complicated a story to to tell all in one shot. Yeah, um, each piece in, informs the other piece, and, and all those these cases aren't directly related. I I believe the overall picture. Uh, informs ultimately what happened to Jocelyn Houle. So I would ask at this point for you to just kind of hold these, hold these pieces together. So we have this, this, this uh, go-go stripper girl named Nicole, also known as Isabel, who uh, she works for this uh, Claude Vignon production who, who books about 150 girls in, in the city uh, she winds up in the South Shore uh, shot in the head. Um, earlier, we talked about um, uh, Lucy Baudouin, and uh, she's also an exotic dancer in Longay uh, and is murdered by uh, a biker, Henri Vincent. And for some reason, the, uh, the SQ develops amnesia and forgets that they actually uh, arrested, prosecuted, and tried him and sent him to prison this bizarre uh this bizarre story and then and then then last week when we were talking about uh, Suzanne um Charbonneau the, again another exotic dancer turns up uh in the woods and uh, inexplicably the uh, the police initially say suicide but then they they turn around and all of a sudden last year Case shows up on the Certe de Quebec's cold case website. Leaves you scratching your head and going, what's going on here? And then just the the context that we've talked about initially about uh, the street hustle in Montreal and cops trying to 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 get a better understanding of treating these these women not um, as criminals but as victims. Uh, and then uh, last time, uh, filling that in a little bit with the story of the the runaway street girl who shows up, uh, on, you know, the remains in the border town, uh, bordering uh, the Vermont border. So uh, all of that, I would see. So this is the milieu that we're dealing with. Um, uh, that's kind of sets the stage for what I for what I want to talk about next. The setup of this is is really important, and uh, you know it's it's like you know the setup to a joke. But if you drop a piece of information, you blow the joke. And um, I'm a pretty good storyteller. I'm a terrible uh, joke teller. I always leave out like a key piece of information or something. It's like I I would say something like you know. A guy goes into the bar and the bartender says, hey, why the long face? And you go, oh, I, can I back up? Because I forgot the part where the, it's not actually a guy. It's a horse. A horse goes. Can I start over? Is that our, can I, so a horse goes into a, a bar and a guy's, oh, and you know, by this point, you've 
you've lost them and then been kind of, you know, terrified, you know, that I'm, I'm going to get to the end of this story and uh, you're going to go, John, you, but you forgot to tell them that the, the, it was a horse, you, you idiot. Uh, um, so I'm, I've been really sort of like pussyfooting around this, uh, strategizing the best, uh, you know, the best way to, to, to undertake it. Um, and, and of course being extremely, uh, mealy mouthed and, uh, just get on with it, dude. Um, oh, and been meaning to say this incidentally, uh, the, um, my, uh, my like, uh, SQ voice, the voice of a police inspector, you know, Mr. Alor, are you the, I, I need to go on record and say um, that 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 is not any one officer. I have never heard a police officer talk to, to me with um, that dialect or anything. In, in fact, I stole that from that's like my bastardization of um, my Ruck Carrier voice from the nfb uh film the sweater uh if you're canadian you sort of know this it's a little short 10 minute film you can find it on youtube it's about a boy who um you know growing up in the rural quebec in the 50s who loves uh maurice richard and uh so his his hockey sweater is wearing out so his mom orders a new one from the eaton's catalog and mistakenly, instead of a Montreal Canadiens sweater, uh, Eaton's ships a Toronto Maple Leafs sweater, right? And it's like, this is persecution. You're not going to get me to wear a sweater like that. But if you don't wear the sweater, Mr. Eaton, he's not going to be happy with you. And all this kind of... So that that is the voice. The voice is that, uh, you know... We all dressed like Maurice Richard, and we used a certain kind of glue in our hair to make our hair look like Maurice Richard. We taped our sticks like Maurice Richard, and we knew absolutely everything about him. Nevertheless, I'm stalling, and uh, I'm going to get to the point. I'm going to read two short pieces uh, from 1977. I believe they're both from La Presse. Uh, I'll just read them cold, and and then we're going to discuss them. Go-Go Dancers, Suspicious Deaths, La Presse, September 28th, 1977. The Sarté de Québec have revealed the identities of two young women whose bodies were found in the woods of Saint-Calixte, north of Montreal. They are Francine Loisel, 21 years of age, with no known address, and Suzanne Morrow, 18 years old, from Laval. The two victims earned their living as go-go dancers when they were reported missing. According to the police, the bodies, where they were found, were there since the month of June 1977. Autopsies performed at the Medical Legal Laboratory of Quebec on Rue Parthenay in Montreal were not able to determine the exact cause of death due to the advanced state of decomposition of the bodies, 
Other tests will be performed at the laboratory. Now, this next piece is, again, as I said, from the press. It's the next day. It's the following day from the first time they reported it. Un troisième cadavre est retrouvé à Roundon. La Presse, September 29th, 1977. The Sarté du Québec were trying to solve the enigma surrounding the death of two teenage girls. Now they must also solve a murder, the victim being a 45-year-old man whose body was found on Tuesday morning next to Route 125 in the township of Rondon. According to information obtained, the victim, we cannot at this instant disclose his identity, but he is known to the police. He was shot before being abandoned dead in the ditch. This was probably a settling of accounts. The police in this affair know the associates and hangouts of the victim in the hours before his death. Yesterday, they had not yet recovered the vehicle that the victim was seen in before his death. As for the death of the teenage girls whose bodies were found in a forest in the region last week, SQ investigators concluded a suicide pact. The two victims in this affair were identified as Francine Loisel, 21 years old, and Suzanne Morrow, 18 years old, who both worked as dancers for some time in the Saint-Jérôme region. Due to the advanced state of decomposition of the bodies of the two young women, Pathologists at the Medical Legal Institute are still not able to determine the exact cause of death. What is known for certain, however, they were not shot, and they had been there for several months. In any case, the identification of the two victims dispelled the doubts of several citizens who believed that one of the victims could be one of the many young girls who had been missing for a few months in Laval and the region. Other information. They were found in the woods bordering Range Quatrième in Saint-Calixte. The bodies were found in an état skeletique, skeletal state, côte à côte. 600 to 800 feet from the road. Francine lived on Rue de Roche in Park Extension, Montreal. Francine Loisel's parents lived in an apartment at 1560 La Belle in Longueuil. Suzanne Moreau lived with her parents at 175 du Galais, Laval des Rapides, which runs parallel to Route 15. And uh, Laval de Rapids is, um, if you go off the island of Montreal, it's just north of uh, Cartierville-Ahansic. Uh, so what to make of this? Um, curious. No, uh, you, despite the fact 
that they're found in a in a skeletal uh, state. Uh, no, no evidence of how they died at all. Police conclude a suicide pact. And let's let's think about that for a while. So we we're told they were they were dancing in uh, Saint Jerome. Saint Jerome is a thirty minute drive to uh, Saint Calix. I mean, why not just go into the woods in Saint Jerome? Why do you have to drive thirty miles away? Uh, and where's the car? How did they get there? Uh, what are they doing in Saint Calixt? And then, okay, maybe they didn't come from Saint Jerome, but they were from they were from Montreal, Longay, and the other from Montreal. How does that make sense? Well, recall that um, you know probably all of these girls were you know run by the the same agency. In fact, probably by Claude Vignon, who who, who was in charge of Nicole uh, Champeau, uh, Isabel. You know, and his office is uh, um, the offices of uh, Claude Vignon Productions. We're right downtown, right around uh, Saint Catherine's and uh, Saint Denis. So, so maybe um, the suicide pact was was thought out in Montreal, um, and then they decided to drive an hour north of Montreal uh, to Saint Calixte. Again, no no abandoned vehicle. Um, and they go into the woods, six hundred feet in, and they they lie down side by side and very nobly and tragically commit suicide. That's the Certe de Quebec's version of events in the uh, in the deaths of uh, Francine Loisel and Suzanne Morrow. But but hold on. Um, I do my due diligence, so I, you know, I happen to have uh, the coroner information on these two cases, so just bear with me going through it, yeah, sure enough. Um, and here, oh, well, this is interesting. Here's a statement from Louiselle's uh, father, Ronald. It roughly says, um, found in the woods, uh, bordering... Uh, Range 4 in St. Calix. Um, this isn't the exact Eng English, but this is what it, it states, basically. Fr Francine was depressive uh, at the su suicidal death of a friend. Um, and the coroner determined that maybe she had sacrificed herself. That's... That's the evidence. <laughs> the the evidence is is um is a howler. That's all we have to go on for the tragic murders of Morrow um, and uh, as I say, Francine uh, Loiselle, um, because it was murder. This was not this was not a suicide pact. Uh, in 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 any event, it, it just just as the the death of uh, Suzanne Charbonneau was, which was initially a, de determined as suicide, wasn't wasn't suicide. I'm beginning to think. Um, I'm, I'm beginning to think that that suicide is um, a determination or a label that the police in that era. Um, 
put on a victim who and uh, a case that they just didn't want to deal with. And remember what my friend Serge said, um, Serge, who ran the, the his father ran the club on the North Shore strip club on the North Shore of Quebec about uh, the bikers that the cops just didn't want to deal with the bikers. Also recall that Serge said about how his father would would obtain the girls. He would drive to Montreal um, and pick them up in a van and for a two week stint at his his motel club on the on the North Shore. Um, no doubt he probably went to Claude uh, Vignon Productions. That was probably the apex of this whole industry in downtown Montreal at the corner of Saint-Denis and, and uh, St. Catherine. And in, incidentally, this, this idea of, of um, out of the blue, um, a determination of suicide popping up is not uncommon. I found it many times uh, in, the, uh, in the Quebec City region in 77. Uh, Francine Savard uh, is found in the woods in Levi and they determine she was depressive and suicidal. Uh, the case of um, also in 77, uh, Constance uh, DeCary, again, depressive, suicidal. I have no doubt if um, Marilyn Bergeron was eventually found, uh, uh, who's been missing from Quebec for 10 years, the first or one of the theories they would immediately entertain is that Marilyn uh, was depressed and therefore suicidal, which is nonsense. Marilyn Bergeron was not depressed. She was terrified for her life before she disappeared. And there is a difference. Walk it back now to where we began with the unsolved murder of Jocelyn Houle. I told you at the beginning uh, the events leading up to her disappearance. Now we're, I'm going to just a reminder of how she was found, when she was found, where she was found. On Sunday, April 17th, Houle's body is discovered about an hour north of Montreal, near Saint-Calixte. She is found off a gravel road, Range 5, about eight feet from the road, lying face down in a few inches of water. Houle is found half-naked and badly beaten about the face and head. Her purse is lying next to her. The body is taken to Montreal and an autopsy is performed by André Lazan of the SQ headquarters, Parthenay Street. The autopsy confirms that Houle was beaten to death. She had a fractured jaw and many facial injuries caused by kicks or punches. Houle had been raped, possibly by several persons. Houle was still wearing some of her clothing, including her bra, which was torn. Investigators conclude that Houle was not killed at the Saint-Calixte location, only dumped there. If you look on a map of Saint-Calixte, uh, Range 5 turns into uh, Range 4. For Quatre uh, Cinq, they, they merge into together. They're virtually the same road, um, and the the dump sites of the the two girls uh, in the suicide pact are a couple of miles from the dump site of Jocelyn Houle. Um, so same location. What about timing? Well, if you consider um, the fact that um, uh, 
if you walk back the time that the two girls will find were found, if they're found skeletally, it was determined they had been there for a few months. So they're found in the fall. If you walk it back, the timelines merge pretty close to when uh, when Hool is found. Hool is found uh, April um, seventy seven. It would mean those girls were dumped there in possibly May or June of nineteen seventy seven. So, what happened to Jocelyn Hool? Well, um, she, she's not a go go dancer. She's she's not a stripper. Um, she's this nursing student, this kid from Shakutami who comes to Montreal um, to to take a couple of week courses, I think, on cardiology or something. And she's there with several several other n- nursing students, um, doing, you know, just, um, you know, absorbing uh, Montreal lifestyle. I think Jocelyn Hool is not the victim of a sexual predator, sexual murderer as we know it. Uh, I think she is a a victim who was caught uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And to to understand that, you need to you need to follow the the trajectory of her her last evening, uh, April 13th. So she begins her evening by having dinner with her friends uh, at the Barn Cider. Now, what kind of place is the Barn Cider? Well, it's not some seedy dive. This is, here's an excerpt describing what the Barn Cider is. The kind of places today's kids like and feel at home in are... The very casual, very informal restaurants where jeans are perfectly acceptable, if not always worn. Places that employ college students as waiters and waitresses. The barn cider is very popular on this account. Places where they can make a bit of noise and not be stared at. Places that will serve wine with their food without making everyone show proof of age. And above all, inexpensive places. So... She's she's at basically a, you know, it's an all-you-can-eat place. It's fairly innocuous, and so where the, where does she go next? She goes well. She goes to the old Munich, uh, at Saint Denis, and Dorchester, just down the street from Saint Denis, and Saint Catherine's. Um, so what is the what is the old Munich? Um, well, always go. Uh, to Christian Gravner for this kind of thing because he, he knows the city. And sure enough, in his book, Montreal 375, Tales of Eating, Drinking, Living, and Loving, he's got a description of the old Munich. The old Munich, armies of beer-influenced patrons, including a sea of American tourists, joined in chicken dance polka lines led by later hosen-clad oompa bands, at this expansive downtown beer hall, launched to continue the success of the popular Bavarian beer garden at Expo 67. And that's that's exactly what uh, the Vieille uh, Munich, Old Munich was. It was this kind of place, I think we've talked about it on this podcast, 
more more often than I ever really really wanted to. I mean, I went there for a stag party, right? And and got sick from drinking too much beer. So here's here's a bunch of girls out on the town, you know, um, just just enjoying themselves. And as I say, at about you know after midnight, you know, Montreal never closes. Uh, so after midnight, they decide to take the party up the street to La Calache, du sex. Now that du sex part is often dropped in stories, uh, but that's where they were headed. And don't confuse, there's a different restaurant in at that time called La Calache. That is like a family restaurant. I believe it's, it's over... Um, by De Carey at that time, but that's not where they were headed. They were headed to La Calache du Sex, a go-go club, a strip club at 328 St. Catherine's East, just west of Saint-Denis. So where are they? They are in at this apex. They are at this location where uh, Claude Vignon had his booking agent. They, 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 are, they are in the the red light district at that time of of uh, of Montreal and and what is uh, la calage de sex well again christian grabner he has a description of it at that time very short but he says um uh, calage de sex 328 saint catherine east um came with a perilous contraption which allowed dancers to sit naked on a platform which was transported overhead inside the club. So this Bacchanalia uh, play, you know, um, atmosphere. And that's that's where they're headed. They're probably a little drunk now, and they kind of, they want to take the party to the next level. That area of, of Montreal um, um, in 1977, at that time of night, could attract uh, a particularly um, uh, unsavory um, type of person. Uh, so on the way up the street, up St. Denis, from Dorchester to St. Catharines, uh, we're told that she's in the company of two men, and we, we don't know who these men are or what types, but... Um, if as I say, it was somebody unsavory, possibly bikers, um, who would certainly uh, haunt the strip clubs. Um, maybe she disappeared at that point right off the street. Um, maybe she made it to uh, uh, La Calache du Sex, um, but her friends did, just didn't see her. Uh, maybe she was um, misidentified. Maybe the people who were with her thought she was an exotic dancer or in that trade. Or, or maybe they simply found her attractive and she was in that neighborhood um, and that's why uh, they abducted her um, and gang-raped her. And when they were through with her, um, they dumped her ultimately where a couple of months later they dumped two other strippers, go-go dancers, now that's that's not a nice ending for someone who traditionally you you think is a good girl, right? Um, and uh, 
You know, I floated this idea one time. I, for a while, I was in correspondence with a family member of Jocelyn Hool, and I floated this idea t- to him, and um, and I never heard from him again. Um, and uh, all I would say is, you, you know, you just need to look at the the motives of, and the circumstances, and stop thinking about uh, them in terms of the good girls and the bad girls. There's no good girls and bad girls. There are only victims. They're only victims of murder. So who done it? Who killed those girls who were dumped in Saint Calixte? Well, I've wondered that a long time, and uh, it, it's only recently, I think about two weeks ago, uh, I learned that a, a very close friend of mine, who's a former cop, um, has a place near Saint Calixte, like summer residence. Um, so I asked them. I said, uh, "Can can can you tell me something? Um, uh, what is what is Saint Calixte known for? Um, particularly in the seventies, what was it known for?" Uh, without dropping a beat, he said, "Oh, it's it's the bikers." Definitely. It's, it's, it's the Hells Angels Cottage Country. That's what San Calixte is. Um, and and you got to be careful here when I say, if we're going to have a biker discussion, a Hells Angels discussion, um, I'm in way over my head. But, you know, I know just enough to get myself in, in trouble. But I didn't say that. He said that. And uh, that... At the time of these events, the, the hells as as we know them today did not exist in Montreal, in Quebec. Um, it wasn't until December 77 that the, the biker gang, the Popeyes, got uh, patched over to what we know as the American Hells Angels in a ceremony in Laval. So at that time, you, when he says the bikers... He could be referring to the Jetans, the Les Atoms, the Spiders, the Popeyes, um, Devil's Disciples, any of them. But he's probably, I, I would guess at that time, um, you, you know, it's the it's the Popeyes. Uh, they seem to be the most organized um, and the antecedents of the Hells Angels that were residing in that area. Uh, so I, I don't know, man, uh, you know. Uh, it's a it's a miscarriage of justice, and there's, you know, I mean, I would imagine there's no there's there's no evidence here, right? There's skeletal remains. Um, I don't know what remains in the case of Jocelyn Hull, but I'm not uh, given the uh, pedigree of the Sarté de Québec. I'm not very optimistic. But um, if you want to know who done it, uh, why don't you do this? Check the property records. Who was living there in 1977? And then based on that, um, find out if they had any business dealings in Montreal. And there you have something of an answer about um, uh, 
who killed uh, Suzanne uh, Morrow, Francine uh, Loisel, and uh, Jocelyn Houle. That's it. That's our show. Shout out to Greg Knucklehead for the opening. If you like what you hear and you, you want to, I don't know, follow or say hello, I'm pretty easy to find. Just just search on John Allure or Teresa Allure and you can, I don't want to talk about all that stuff. Um, um, hey, hey, Hells Angels, bikers, um, um, if I offended anyone, don't send me a nasty gram. Don't, don't blame me, right? Uh, I'm, I'm really not calling you into question. I'm calling the police into question. So um, uh, this is my chance to duck and cover. I, this is the, like, one of the rare episodes where uh, I actually recorded it in two parts. I, normally, um, I do the whole thing in one shot and just get it out. But this is one where I sort of did the first half um, and then took a pause and, and did, the, did the second half because uh, uh, just to kind of think about it, the, the pieces, all of that. Anyway, as I say, if you like it, find me. Uh, give me your thoughts, your comments. Love to hear your theories. Um, if, if you really didn't like it, uh, uh uh, I, I don't know, scream into a pillow. I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Do visit the website for this one, uh, TeresaAllure.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. There's a lot of visual content that will help with um, kind of dissecting this episode. Cheap run-down teenage jail, that's where. Oh my god! Yeah, Blondie, you're gonna be here till you're 18, so get used to it. Behind the bars, there's a superstar. That's it. That's our podcast. This has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. Have yourselves a great, great day.
Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, The Global Phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS.